where it's, it's speaking uh, boldly. I would say boldly, it's speaking into me as well. And so Pastor uh, Jay and Pastor Margie had shared in recent days and past messages, and they had a meeting with the leadership in this church. They called it a holy convocation, a time where the leaders come together about two Saturdays ago. And they said that it's been burning in their heart that they've realized that they haven't been praying as strongly or as fervently or as on fire as they should be. And they know that if it starts from pastors, it trickles down into the leadership, it trickles down into the church. And so we want to see, or we say that we want to see the power of God. We say that we want to see the miracles happen. We say that we want to see uh, this community transformed. But we don't realize how much of our attitude, our position in prayer, even the way our perspective is when we pray has a lot to do with what God does in our lives personally, in this church, through this church, in the community, and in this city, and in our nation. It's said, there's a quote that's going around, or that goes around, but it says that as the nation walks, so does, uh, as a church walks, so does the church. So does the nation. Either way, the point is that. If the church is not functioning, then God is not being made known. I mean, God, God, God is God. He's sovereign. He will make himself known to all peoples. In the end, God will not lose. And many people take God lightly or they think they're playing a game with God. And I, and, I, and I always share this. God doesn't have time to play games, so he doesn't play the game back. And playing church and, and, and showing up and just taking it as casual or, or let me just hear what makes me feel good and if I didn't agree with something, even though it came from the word, then I'm not going to apply it and I could just ignore it. Those type of attitudes and perspectives are not the attitudes and perspectives of those people that have chosen to be disciples of Jesus Christ. If you agree, you could say amen. This is not my opinion. This is not my perspective. This is what it is. When Jesus said to the disciples, come and follow me, I don't think... And I don't really believe that he went to them and said, he said, listen, I know you're fishing. Finish your job. What time do you end? Like maybe 6 o'clock or at sundown, right? Maybe. Go wash your feet. Go home. I'm going to give a discipleship class because I think you said you want to follow me. I'm going to give a class tonight around 7. Is that okay with you? Are you done eating by then? And then come to the class. We'll hang out. I promise it won't be more than an hour. I'll teach you about my father. And then you'll go home and you'll, 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 you'll be at home early enough so that you could fish tomorrow again. Jesus wasn't apologetic. Jesus wasn't apologetic when he demanded of his disciples. His disciples chose to follow Christ because he was worth following. I feel the Holy Spirit right now. Jesus had followers because they chose to follow him. When he died on that cross, there was only one disciple there, John the Beloved, holding Mary, his mother. All the disciples just cowered it out. They ran, they scattered. They were scared. They were nervous. Their faith was put to the test. And every single one of them died in, 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 in a, as martyrs, except John. They died in a very ugly way. After Christ had passed away and after he had uh, resurrected and ascended to heaven, 
they all went to spread the gospel through the, as the early church started, but they all died in a very strong way. You know, the same way or, or, or through a gruesome death the way their master had died. And so I want us to be reminded, I think God is calling us, especially a group that would come on Wednesday because it's not the most convenient day of the week to show up in a church. It's called hump day because it's like that day we get over the hump, right, from the week. Weekends, we might have more energy to be here on a Sunday, but it's not really about the convenience. It's not convenient to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's not why we serve Jesus Christ. You know, the saddest, the saddest reality about the church, the church at large, just people that call themselves Christian, is that there is an attitude of, I need to be entertained, or I need to be catered to. Or I need to dress up nicely for me to feel good about serving God. Or I need to, be, I need to uh, feel that I'm, I, I'm allowed to participate. Or that I'm being uh, patted on the back when I show up. Good job. You made it to church today. Great job, guys. You guys are amazing. Right? Everybody wants a trophy. Everybody wants a ribbon for just showing up. But I would say this, if, if, if Christ was in this room right now, which he is, and he would look and pierce his eyes into yours and look deep into your soul, look deep into our souls, what condition would he find our lives in today? Beyond looking at what we're wearing or, or, or what time we got here or what we say Is he impressed by any kind of Christian resume that we would present to him? Jesus, look at the things I do for you. I do so much. And Jesus is like, I gave my life. In one hour, an hour and a half on a Wednesday. You think it's enough? Is it convenient for you? He's asking me the same thing. There's a book here called Prayer on Fire. I recommend that you get it some way, somehow. Here's a physical book. You could buy it online as an electronic book. You could buy an audio book. It's worth the investment. I'm not going to apologize and say, hey, you know, we'll collect some offering. We'll buy some free books for people. No. If you, you want to really take this serious, read your word. Spend time with God. Here's a good manual on praying on fire. But as we started to look at this book, this was recommended by our pastors. Um, I actually was ready to buy the book electronically, and I was home the other day, and it was on my kitchen table. And I kind of freaked out. I was like, how did that book get here so fast? I know Amazon doesn't deliver that quickly. And my, I called my wife, and she said, yeah, one of the sisters in church actually gifted it to us. She, she wanted to know if we had it, and, and I said no, and so she gave us a copy. And so God knew that this is something that I really wanted to dive into. So that blessing was already there. Um, so yeah, even Brother West, he shared on Sunday, he was just talking about, the one thing that stood out to me the most was, I think he was on this side of the, of the altar, and he goes, we got to stop acting as if the veil is still there. The veil 
is the curtain. Imagine a thick curtain that was right here. So the people are out there, and then there was a thick curtain, and behind that curtain was the holy of holies, the holiness of God, the presence of God. It didn't exist before that veil. It existed after, and only those who were holy, been blameless before God, could enter the holy of holies. If priests had sin in their life or any type of contamination in their spirit, in their, in their lives, they would drop dead before the presence of God. I think in some history that we looked at, they had a rope tied to one leg and they would be actually pulled out because you couldn't take away the body of the dead priest in the Holy of Holies because you would probably die yourself. So they had to pull him out. When Jesus Christ died, the Bible says that that veil was torn right in half. And I think it was this way, right? Top to bottom. It was a thick Thick veil. Like she said, no human could have done it. And that was torn. And now we have access to the holiness of God. And then the Bible describes to us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so as beautiful as this building is, and as much as we think that we have to come to this building to meet God, the Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That now Christ lives in us. And so there is an, an altar in our hearts. And Pastor Jay touched, about, touched on this last week, the condition of the altar of our hearts. In First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 21, just picture this. It's just one verse. Verse 26, it says, And David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of the burnt offering. And so one part is that David showed up. The second aspect to that is that David brought an offering. He didn't just show up empty-handed to the presence of God. Then he burns his offering, but what does God do in return? How did God show up? You could answer the question. He showed up with fire. The Bible says, and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven above and the altar at the altar of the burnt offering. Amen? So, In today's day and age, this is now after Christ's death, right? We're in the year 2019 AD, right? If this is, if if we're going, if we're trusting that the calendar is accurate. 2019 years after the death of Christ. And so where, what is the source of the fire? When we say, God, bring your fire down, what is this fire that we're asking about? Power, presence, starts with an H, second word is an S. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, and I want you to to, to have a student's mindset right now, because if we don't understand this, then we won't know how to pray. If we don't understand this, then we won't know how to pray. God is not mystical. God wants to make himself known to his people. 
God wants to reveal the mysteries of himself to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the oozy feelings and, 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 and just I need to feel tinglings in my life for me to feel that God is with me. The Bible tells us specifically that it is the Holy Spirit that will reveal Jesus Christ to us. He will, Jesus described this, and I'm going to go through some verses that are going to teach us exactly what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is. Amen? Are you excited? Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 13. So I want you to picture this scene. Remember, disciples were not guys that chose to follow Jesus at their convenience. They chose to follow Christ by giving up their life to follow Jesus because Jesus was worth following. So one of the things that they saw Jesus do was speak to his father. And when he spoke to his father, it was in such a powerful way. They knew that the source of his holiness, the source of his power, and they, they, they knew that he carried the covering of God. And so he prayed very specific. And so as they listened to him praying, they approached Jesus in chapter 11 of Luke and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Who asked the same question here tonight? If this is you, you could raise your hand now. Lord, teach me how to pray. So we all are experts in prayer. I could give you the mic now and you could Who wants the Lord to teach them how to pray? Amen. Chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, and he ceased, so he stopped praying, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. John was John the Baptist, the one that came before Jesus Christ in those days and announced the coming of the Messiah. And so John had his disciples and he taught. And so they said, well, we're your disciples. Teach us how to pray. So he said to them, when you pray, say, this is verse two, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first thing it did is recognize God's holiness. Then it asked for God's will to be done on earth. It called God's kingdom here on earth. And then he says in verse 3, Give us this day by day our daily bread. And forgive us of our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to keep reading because now it gets, now now he explains what he's trying to say by these words. So he gives a model prayer and most people that read this text, they stop there. And so we sometimes feel, maybe you, you are one of them or you are not, but if we repeat this prayer, then we're doing the perfect prayer. But look at what he says here. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves. Loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. 
And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are in in bed with me. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Did you catch it? What will trigger the friend in that home that has the bread that his friend is asking for? What will trigger him to open the door finally? Persistence. He had a need. He persistently asked. And the friend finally came and opened the door and gave him what he needed. That's... This is, to me, this is Jesus' best-kept secret, but he's revealing it to his disciples at this moment. I want to ask you a question. I'm going to make a pause and ask us a question. How persistent are we in our prayers when we have a need that we bring before God? Or how often have we quit because we did not wait for him to open the door and answer? Keep that word in mind, persistence. In verse 9 of Luke chapter 11, he says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? A son to a father. I need bread, father. You think the father is going to give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, he's calling you, you're just a mere man, you're just mere men. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so I want to encourage you. These are not my words. I'm just telling you what Jesus taught his disciples. I want to encourage you with this. Persistent prayers. Where does the fire come from? You say, you're my Holy Spirit person. When I point at you, you say Holy Spirit. Right? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And so if we want the fire of God, if we want the manifest power of God, if we want God to work, Before we even pray, there has to be a position and a perspective when we pray. The position is, number one, that we show up, we don't look back, we don't keep doing our things in our life that make us comfortable and then show up to pray when it's convenient. We pray, we pray, and we pray. If Jesus came to live a convenient life on this earth, I guarantee you he will not have been able to save the world. He was born in the lowest of low of poverty. He was rejected by men. And you know the life he lived. A blameless life. The only way he was able to live holy and blameless on earth as a man was because he spent time in prayer with his father. You, wanna, you wonder why you cannot pass the level that you might find yourself in spiritually today? Why you feel stuck 
because you still have things that you're holding on to that God wants you to let go. He says, if you want to be a follower of me, you need to deny yourself. You need to pick up your cross and follow me. It costs something. God wants to make himself known to us. God wants to use us. God loves us. We are God's people. It used to be only for the Jews. And now the, Jesus said, you are now grafted to the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so it is only with the power of Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, that we are able to really do the will of God. It was always there in the word. All the answers to all the things we struggle with in life and all the spiritual questions that we have that are not clear, all the mysteries of God are all found in his word. And it is his Holy Spirit that reveals that word to us. It is not a word to memorize. It is not about how much you know of the Bible, but it's how much of your heart is surrendered to God. Remember, you bring a heart that is surrendered to God as a sacrifice to the altar, and God will meet that surrendered heart with consuming fire. Amen? Praise God. I'm going to skim through this book a little bit. The author here, he just writes different examples of when God showed up with fire. So some of the examples he gives, I'm not going to read everything, but God met Abraham in a fire. He had a vision of a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch and convinced him that his love covenant with God was ratified. When, when God had met Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, if you want to write that down, Genesis chapter 15, I want you to read that. He tells him that he's going to be father of all nations. And he tells them that the generations to come are going to be blessed because of him. And he's having a conversation with God. And he says, but I have no children. And God still makes this promise. And at the end of that chapter, the word states that God consumed that covenant. He marked that covenant. He sealed that covenant with consuming fire. That is an amazing moment. And that's right from the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 15. I read the one about David, that David brought an altar and burnt offerings to God, and God in return replied to David with a consuming fire. When God called Moses, he told him to take his feet off because the place where he was standing was holy ground, and there is a burning bush that was not being consumed, but it was set on fire, and God is speaking to Moses at that moment through the fire. All of Israel met God in the fire when they were in the wilderness, when they had walked out of Egypt, they had crossed the Red Sea, and the Lord is leading them. That is amazing that the Lord would lead his people by day 
in a cloud and at night by fire, a pillar of fire. Elijah met God with fire. I do want to read this one. When he challenged the prophets of Baal, the false prophets that worshiped a false idol, a false god, to a showdown at Mount Carmel, the fire of God consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and even the water in the trench. It wasn't the false god. It wasn't the idol. It was the power of the living God that you and I serve that consumed that altar with fire. John the Baptist himself, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Why am I reading all these examples? Because when we say fire, when Pastor Jay says, pray for the fire of God, God, we need your fire. Why do we need the fire? Because that is where God consumes all the things in the flesh. That's where God consumes the the issues in our life. That's where God consumes what we offer him as a sacrifice. That's where God makes his manifest presence known. Here's the truth. God is always everywhere. God is always here. He is omnipresent. That means he is everywhere in all places at all times. So it's not that God is not here. But when we pray, what we're asking is, God, manifest yourself, meaning show yourself. God, I don't see you, but make yourself known. Manifest yourself, God. And that's what we need. We think we honestly walk in and out of God's presence. God's presence is in all places at all times. He was there before the bush was set on fire, before Moses. He was there. He knew where Moses was. He followed Moses from when he started till he reached that place. He burned, and he manifested himself through a burning bush. Does that make sense? And so that's what we're praying for. You know, I, that's, this is my spiritual father, Pastor Jay. I know he's, he's on fire, or he's passionate, and he's asking, and he's saying, pray. Pray in the spirit. Pray for the fire. This is Why? We pray for the fire. Amen? He makes a quick contrast to say this. Prayer is what we do. Prayer is our initiative. It's the action we take to meet God. You want God? You want to feel the manifestation of God's power and presence in your life? And you want God to consume the altar of your sacrifice? You want God to show up in all aspects of your life, not just when you have good moments in worship or prayer in church, but you want God to show up and consume your workplace, your family, your community, wherever you are. You want God's holiness and fire to go before you? Then show up and pray. Get before God. That is how we connect with God, through prayer. That's why it's so hard to pray. That's why we're so distracted when it comes time to pray. And so I will say something very bold, and I will not apologize, but the level of our spirituality is reflected in how much time we spend in prayer with God. You call yourself spiritually mature, 
It's not about how long you've been in church. If God was to take an attendance of how many times you showed up before him on a daily basis and measure you by that, what would he say? Not church attendance. Attendance by coming to his presence in prayer. He says, be holy because I am holy. And holiness, part of holiness is not just to be completely clean, but it's also to be consecrated and separated. That is why the enemy throws every distraction. That is why our flesh in its weakness wants everything that has to do with entertainment. And we dare, I will say this, we dare bring the same attitude when we show up in church. That preaching better be good. That worship better sound great. Them sound guys better play the right songs during prayer time. These, these, these carpets better be fully cleaned. Everything better be ready so when I show up, service is ready to happen. We don't do it for us. Everything we do here is for God and we serve in excellence. But it has nothing to do with us in as much as it, everything has to do with God. The preaching is a service to God. The worship is a service to God. The vacuuming is a service to God. Everything that is done in this place is for God. And so how dare we take an attitude that if we didn't like it, it's not good enough. And we would critique and we would murmur. And you're not doing that from, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how much you could fool yourself to say, I'm holy. That's a Pharisaic mindset. That's pride. That's evil. That's the same spirit that Jesus called out when he spoke to the religious people of his time. So prayer is what we do. It's our initiative to meet God. But fire is what God does. Fire is when he manifests his presence. Why the fire? Back in, 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 in history, there was a, a, a people called the Puritans. And here's some of the reasons they laid. This is the, the reason why they wanted to seek the fire of God. They wanted to experience conviction of sin. I want you to think about why did you show up tonight? Why did you come to church? Why did you come to pray when you were asked to come up to pray? Why do we serve God? Why do we want God's presence? Why are we praying what we're praying? Here's what some of the Puritans said. They wanted to experience a conviction of sin. They wanted to have pure repentance from their heart. They prayed for purity. And they wanted the effect of walking in a vibrant spiritual intimacy with the risen Christ. And they would settle for nothing less. They were, it wasn't enough to just show up to church. It wasn't show up to just do normal service or community activities. They fervently prayed and prayed and prayed for a revival of their spirit. Not so much for the sensation of everybody yelling. That, that, that could be a byproduct, but that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the true presence of God. Emotions follow, but it's not the emotions that we look for. Does that make sense? We have to lay that down. Because very easy can we as God's people be fooled to think that if I don't feel something fuzzy, then God is not here. God is here. I will remind you again, God always wants to manifest himself to his people. 
Amen? Now, where does this come from? We said it comes from the Holy Spirit. So I want to share a few things about the Holy Spirit with you, and then we're going to pray with consciousness. Is this good stuff? Right? Number one, the Holy Spirit is fire. The Holy Spirit is fire. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 says, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That was John speaking. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, many versions of the Bible says, do not quench the Spirit. Other translations say, do not Put off the fire of the Spirit. Don't throw water on the fire of the Spirit. So the Spirit is consuming fire. Acts chapter 2, verse 3, when the early church was baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, he manifested himself how? In tongues of fire, flames of fire, right? The Holy Spirit is a person. Romans chapter 15, verse 30, it says that pray in the love of the Spirit. The love of the Spirit. There's an emotion there. There's a feeling. He is saddened and he is grieved. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not sadden the Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29 I want to read that verse. That one stood out to me. Oh, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. You can't insult something that's not a person. The Holy Spirit gets insulted when we take it as common. According to this scripture, the sacrifice of the blood covenant that was given through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. I love the book of Genesis. I read it a lot growing up. And as I got older, I started looking deeper into the words of the book of Genesis. Chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, right? The audio Bible talks like that. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it says this. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God. In the beginning was God, but the Spirit of God is what hovered over the waters. I want you to check this very cool verse out in chapter 3. No, excuse me, not chapter 3. Hold on. Chapter 1, verse 26. 
One of my favorite verses in the Bible because I think it's so amazing that right from the first chapter in the Bible, in creation, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and the birds and the air. And the story continues. But who is us? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All in one chapter. As soon as the Bible starts... Rip it open. Right there is the Holy Trinity. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. Later on, Paul talks about how Adam was the first man, but the second man was the, the second Adam was Jesus Christ. And he is the one that came to restore all things. Amazing revelation. The importance of knowing the Word of God. So that we pray with consciousness and not just a mystical thing. Amen? The Holy Spirit is an indwelling person. This is where it gets a lot more personal. When we accept Jesus Christ in our life, the Holy Spirit now comes to live in us. The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit now lives in our lives. And we either obey the Holy Spirit or we disobey the Holy Spirit. But either way, we have some type of relationship with the Holy Spirit. We either grieve the Holy Spirit or we bring joy to the Holy Spirit. It's so hard to be a believer. I know that. It's so hard to do the will of God. Yes, it is. We cannot do it apart from the Holy Spirit. We have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew that. He said it's narrow the way that leads to eternal life. There's only few that find it. But wide is the way that leads to eternal damnation. And that road is wide. And many people are ignorantly on that road. Remember, he is the vine and we are the branches. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so his spirit is what we possess in us to enable us to do the will of God, to walk the way Christ walked, to pray the way he prayed, to feel the power of God the way he had the power of God. And so why the struggle in this walk, why the struggle in ministry or when we try to do things of God, you cannot do Godly things are the things of God without God. You cannot do the works of God and of Jesus Christ without the power of the Holy Spirit. And you cannot pray without the power of the Holy Spirit manifest in your prayers. I'm going to read a verse on that that's going to get more specific. But I'm purposely going like this with my hand because we have to understand the order. We have to understand what this God thing is all about, how the Trinity functions as we approach God, we know about God. We know about we know who He is. You know, I, I one thing that I've been doing recently is just not recently, but in the past year, I would say we're starting prayers. The elders are starting prayers in church. I love to read Psalms because Psalms describe God, and so sometimes I don't know what to say, and that might that might mean because I don't have an intimate relationship with God as much to continuously describe him because anybody that you're intimate with you 
your words would abound and you would describe what you feel. That's what an intimate relationship does. And so David was a man who intimately knew God. He knew God since he was a little boy. He, was a, 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 he constantly said in Psalms every day, your praise will continuously be on my lips. I will meditate on your word day and night. You want to know why they're so richly written and write their songs, correct? A lot of the Psalms are songs. And so where do you get this inspiration? How do you write such deep words? It's because he knew God intimately. Again, we cannot do things for God unless we know God. We cannot be driven to, be, to do things for God unless we have God living within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And I put myself out there every time. You know, I, I'm not the perfect one and, and I'm just talking a message to imperfect people. No, this is as convicting to me as it is to you. Trust me. But this is why I, I want to share it. When I was praying here earlier today, I felt the weight. Because I, along with all of us, need the Holy Spirit really bad. Just because we grab mics or we lead doesn't mean that we got perfect lives and we've been qualified because we're perfect. No, we need, apart from his Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. And so I felt that weight when we prayed. I said, God, your people, you know, when we came out to pray, we don't know what to say. We don't even know that we could call on your Holy Spirit to speak for us. That we could speak in a, in a tongue, in a language that speaks directly to your spirit. And that's what the enemy wants to keep us blinded to, that truth, that reality. Paul said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Meaning, if you don't have the Holy Spirit operating in your life, then you are not of Jesus Christ. He called it out for what it was. The Holy Spirit is a praying spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought but the Holy Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Sometimes when we show up to God at an altar in a moment of prayer, we overspeak as if God would be impressed by our many words. But he is not impressed by our many words. He is impressed by the position of our heart and the acknowledgement that we want to call on the Holy Spirit in that moment to make a connection with God. He says it clearly. We do not know how we ought to pray, but the Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray. He makes himself intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication 
in the spirit. So how do we pray? We pray in the spirit. The Holy Spirit is an invisible person. What's his name? The Holy Spirit. Spirit. You can't see a spirit. I'm not going to dive too deep into that. I don't think we need to. Right? This is my last point. The Holy Spirit is the flaming, indwelling, invisible, divine, praying person whose primary objective is to make Jesus known. The main role of the Holy Spirit is to live and dwell in us and consume us with fire so that we could know who Christ truly is because it is the very Spirit of Jesus Christ that lives in us. Amen. So, let's see what the Bible says about that. Here's the first thing that Jesus said. In John chapter 15, verse 26... John chapter 15, verse 26, listen to these words. But when the helper or the comforter comes, who I shall send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He's going to come. He's going to come from the Father, and he will testify of me. He will speak of me. Right? To me, that's making Jesus known. That's what he's going to come to do. And Jesus broke it down more in detail. Let's open our Bibles. This is the last thing we'll read. John chapter 16. John chapter 16. I'm going to read from verse 5 to 15. He says this. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He's talking to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Before this moment, while Christ walked on earth, the manifest presence of God was through the person of Jesus Christ, physically Jesus Christ. And so they followed him. Teach us how to pray. How do you do what you do? Right? He says you will do greater things than these. And so he says it's to your advantage that I go. If I do not go away, this is all in verse 7, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, look at he's saying he, a person. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin. Because they do not believe in me. When you and I came to Jesus Christ, when you and I made a decision to serve Jesus Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit came to us and convicted us of sin. 
convicted us of the reality that we were separate from God. Jesus said that this is what the Holy Spirit would do, and that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did in our lives. Verse 10, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, back to the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will, whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. His major role. You ready? Verse 14. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I say that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Anybody excited about that? It's amazing. Praise God. (laughs) So how is it that we have prayed without the Holy Spirit? I don't know. We're like gerbils on a a little rolling wheel. Spinning our wheels, what they say. I don't know if gerbils do this, but. I'm going to read this. You don't have to look it up. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 to 18. It says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Don't just come and show up, but fill me. Consume me with your fire. Burn in me. And so you know, do you know when something is burning, the more you fan it, the greater the flame becomes. I believe that one of the greatest fanning of the Holy Spirit is our obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. When we obey the Holy Spirit, he is not grieved, but he is joyed because we want to do the will of God and we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. We don't put him in a corner. We don't turn him on when we go to church. He is active in our life. Can you imagine a life with the Holy Spirit active in you 24 hours, seven days a week? Revealing more and more of who Jesus Christ is. Helping you understand the truth of God in all things as you read his word, as you experience life. And so... You will not be fooled by a lie of the enemy. You will not be fooled by people's perspectives or their evil words over your life. You will not be submitted or subjected to anything or anyone's opinion in this world but what God thinks of you. And you will only obey the voice of your master, of God the Father. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what he can do. That's what God desires to do. He wants to manifest himself with his people. Amen? Amen. Praise God. God, I thank you for your word.
Thank you so much for your word, God. I thank you that this, this building, this place is a place that, that welcomes you, God. I thank you that um, all of my brothers and sisters showed up, God, and we believe that you have met us in this place, God. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. We know that it is your Holy Spirit that has brought revelation of your word and brought understanding of your word because at the end of the day right now, we are just so excited that we understand Jesus Christ even more. And so even as we read these things, we feel it and we're living it out right now that we have such a deeper understanding of who you are. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you dwell among us And God, I pray that we would never pray again without inviting your Holy Spirit to be active and be that fire that that is the manifestation of who you are, God. So Holy Spirit, I just pray and I just feel to pray a prayer of repentance. If we've ever rejected you, if we've ever shoved you to the side or put you in a corner or think we could actually put you away, your word says that we, we could grieve you when we don't do the will of the Father and when we reject you and when we ignore you. So Holy Spirit, forgive us for grieving you, God. How foolish are we to think that we could do the will of God without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the presence of your Spirit, God? How foolish are we to think that we could do things of God without God? Forgive us of that. So I thank you, Lord, and I believe that tonight, even as we pray and, and, and as we continue to pray, I pray that this would not end when we walk out of these doors, but this would be a whole new life enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. That you would be like that pillar of fire that leads us and how to walk this life and how to do your will every single day. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, even in the silence. As we're physically silent, God, that you would be speaking into our hearts, into our spirit, God. Holy Spirit, bring revelation even in the silent moments, God. We pray that you would even make us aware of ourselves, of our true current state before you, God, and that we would be so vulnerable that we would be willing to give anything up so that you may be exalted in our lives, God. Burn and consume. Burn and consume our lives, God. Every corner of our life, every corner of our heart.
I'm going to end now. It's 8.30. If you want to stay in your seat, you keep praying. This is a divine moment, so do not feel rushed at all. And if God is doing something right now in your life, don't rush the moment. There's nothing better out there that we could rush to in this moment here. So, Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for meeting us in this place. I thank you for your word, God. And as we leave this place, um, go with us. And we definitely pray that your spirit will not depart from us, and that it would not be grieved, God, but that we would be obedient to you and we would actually find joy in the spirit, God. That will be filled with your spirit, God. In Jesus' name.